and welcome back to my Underground Magnolia podcast, Conscious Entertainment for Your Soul, with me, the one and only Desiree Valto. You are listening to the sounds of Jazz Addict's intro by Cosimo Fogg. Now, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, and I would like to turn your attention to Asians and Pacific Islanders in film and television. Now, I'm not going to give a whole history lesson about this, but I do want to draw your attention to the journey of Asian Americans, Asians, and Pacific Islanders uh, to their journey in uh, making films in American cinema, in mainstream American cinema. By the way, if you want to find out more about Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, please go to asianpacificheritage.gov. That's asianpacificheritage.gov. Now, many of you may be wondering why I'm talking about this because I'm not Asian or otherwise. But as a black woman in entertainment, I think it is important to shine a light on other marginalized folks in the space. Let's look at statistics. And these statistics, they're not new, (laughs) really. But again, you know, it's always good to show perspective with the numbers and the numbers tend to be the same from year to year. So according to the Hollywood Diversity Report of 2020 conducted by UCLA's College of Social Studies, in 2019, Blacks tend to get 16% of film roles as compared to almost 68% of whites. So this is for American cinema, American film and television. African-Americans get 16% of film roles compared to almost 68% of whites. Now for other marginalized people of color groups, the numbers go down really far. So for Latinx and Latinos, it hovers around 4.6%. For Asians, it is 5%. For Native Americans, it is 0.5%. So Native Americans aren't, aren't even a percentage, it's 0.5%. So, and these are not, I'm only talking about film roles. So I'm not talking about people who are directing or or who have other uh, important behind the scene roles. This is just specifically who you see in front of the camera in cinema and film and, and, and television. And uh, by the way, if you want to uh, get that um, the link for the UCLA study. Hit me up on my podcast website at undergroundmagnoliapodcast.buzzsprout.com because that's a pretty long website for me to give out here and it won't make any sense. So, um, all right. So moving along with those dismal numbers, it is important to shine a light on, again, I just want to, I just want it to be important that we have to shine a light on and I have to shine a light on because that's what I do. That's what my podcast is about, shining a light on not just uh, black people, but but other people of color. Now, in this podcast, um, I will tell you about programming that you can watch old and new about uh, Asians, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, people from all over. I'll have a review of Aquafina's comedy show. And in my interview with the celebrity segment, uh, I will talk about Joan, uh, my interview with Joan Chen, 
from back in 2000, year 2000. Now, first, I've been watching TCM, which is Turner Classic Movies. I've just rediscovered it uh, over the past couple of weeks. And they have been playing quite a few movies with um, Asian leads. Uh, one of the movies I saw was called Sayonara, uh, which was released in 1957. So it is based on the book by James Minchner, and it starred Marlon Brando as a U.S. Air Force bigwig in Japan during the Korean War, who falls in love with the beautiful Japanese performer played by newcomer Mika Taka. The film also starred James Garner, Red Buttons, and Miyoshi Yumeki, and she is um, a famous uh, Japanese actress. So what about the film? Now, because of the time period, I uh, was concerned about portrayals of the Japanese actors. As well, I had been reading about how, you know, uh, sometimes there weren't even Japanese actors playing Japanese roles or, or depending on where the film was set. So if it was in China, if it was in Japan or somewhere else, they may not have even used actors uh, who, who matched the geographical area and ethnic group. So for the most part, the film, well, for the most part, this film was bearable, but I definitely squirmed when Brando finally got a chance to meet with Taka and she explained that the reason why she did not want to talk to him or she ignored him, because of course he was so handsome and good looking, uh, is because she believed that Americans were savages because they killed her family members, including her father in World War II. She went on to, to explain that when she saw Brando out and about, she didn't think he was a savage and she asked for his forgiveness because of the way she had treated him earlier. Now, I was taken aback as it seemed a bit much, but I continued to watch fascinated, fascinated by the portrayal and wondering how the story would have played out if the woman was played by an African-American. Now, a movie like this was made for its op opulence and beauty. The capture of Japan is wonderful. The, the performance is grand and Taka was a striking, beautiful woman. And Brando is, of course, the impossibly handsome American do-gooder soldier. Now, many general critics, of course, love the film. It won many Oscars, including for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Uh, that went to Red Buttons. Best Actress in a Supporting Role went to Miyoshi Yameki. And it also won in Best Art Direction, and set direction and best sound recording. Now, many Asian critics pointed out the stereotyping of Japanese women in American films as delicate and obedient and felt that Sayonara was no different. And, it, and I'm sure uh, it was because of that scene that I, that I um, mentioned. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily like the film, for me, it is very interesting to watch movies from different eras and compare them to what's happening today. It's a cultural study for me. And speaking of cultural study, I was shocked to see Ricardo Montalban, the great Mexican actor, playing a Japanese man in the film. Yes, he was in yellow face. Now, is that what, if you have a brown person playing another race in yellow face, 
I, I, I guess it is called yellow face. Um, and I mean, and and the the makeup was very striking. It was it was actually a lot lighter than his complexion. And they did something to his lips, and they did something to his eyes. And I just, um, I, I mean, it was a weird casting moment for me. Now, by the way, according to a few sources, this was Mika Taka's first acting role. The Seattle-born Taka was apparently discovered working at a travel agency in Los Angeles. So can you imagine during that time, 1957, and she gets to, uh, play someone star next to Marlon Brando, one of the um, biggest stars at the time in the United States. So anyway, so you can probably catch Sayonara on TCM or on the many other streaming, streaming ways that you can see it and other Asian American, Asian Pacific Islander films on TCA during Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And again, to find out more about what's happening, you can go to asianpacificheritage.gov. That's asianpacificheritage.org. Alrighty, now it's time for my review of, I'm going to do some things on Aquafina. For the past two years, uh, it has been pretty great for Aquafina. Her real name is Nora Lim, Nora Lum, sorry. In 2018, she had a co-starring role in Crazy Rich Asians, one of the biggest films in America uh, in general, and about Asians in America since the Joy Luck Club back in the 90s, which is which is, that's not such a good thing. There should have been more films, but anyway, I digress. So let's continue. Then in 2019, the actress rapper starred in The Farewell and won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. Now you can binge watch Aquafina's scripted show on Comedy Central. The show is called Aquafina is Nora from Queens. And it's all about her life growing up in Queens, New York with her cousin, her dad and grandmother. The show brings Aquafina's quirky comedic style to life. In the show, she plays the ultimate slacker who has a hard time relating to her fam and other people around her. How she navigates the the awkwardness is often hilarious. And one of the storylines, her friend has a musician boyfriend who hears ox queef sound from the woman's nether regions. And the boyfriend puts the queefing noises on a song, but neglects to tell Aquafina that he would release it. When, Aqu- when Aquafina finds out, she approaches the musician as only she knows how. The show may not be for everyone with its sometimes cringy but funny storylines, but give it a chance and you will fall in love with Aquafina and the other cast of characters. The grandma is played by the wonderful Chinese actress Laura Tin Chen. She is hilarious. She is hilarious. Uh, B.D. Wong, the wonderful B.D. Wong, who needs no introduction, stars as her awkward father, as Aquafina's awkward father, and Boeing Yang from uh, SNL, who's gone from writer to one of the featured uh, performers on SNL, 
plays her crazy cousin Edmund, and I have to admit, I I like him a lot better on Aquafina. I, I I just think it's it's really awkward sometimes to see him on SNL. Um, I think whatever he's doing, his quirkiness works much much better on the Aquafina show. And then we have Jennifer Esposito, another well-known actress um, who starts dating B.D. Wong. And those are some really funny, funny scenes. So it's a really, really quirky show, but uh, please give it a try. You can binge it on Comedy Central and um, stick with it. Stick with it. Um, it's, It's different. But I think that as we open up to different cultures, different experiences, then we'll learn to uh, to enjoy some things that we're not used to. So let's do that. And now it's time for my next segment, Interview with the Celebrity. Uh, my interview with uh, Celebrity segment is all about the gorgeous Joan Chen. I interviewed Chen in 2000 during the junket for an indie film called What's Cooking, which was directed and written by Garinda Chada, who also wrote and directed Bend It Like Beckham, a really great film, and The Reason Blinded by the Light. What's Cooking focused on issues of four ethnically, racially diverse families living in Los Angeles uh, during Thanksgiving. So during my interview with Chen, who was born in Shanghai, uh, she was very open about how Asian women are stereotyped in films as either, you know, very very obedient, very delicate, you know, forgiving, not really having any edge, just, you know, just taking what comes. And she acknowledged that she may have perpetuated some of those stereotypes, but she has worked to improve them uh, since her since her heyday back in the 80s. We also discussed how at the time, the Joy Luck Club was really the only mainstream cinema film that had truly shown Asian and Asian American women as three-dimensional characters, being smart, not so smart, and as real people. They weren't these mythical creatures or or figures. It would be great to see how Joan feels now, 20 years later, about the portrayals of Asian women in American cinema. Now, for those of you who don't know Joan Chin, in 1979, the film Little Flower earned her China's Best Actress Award, and she was dubbed the Elizabeth Taylor of China. In the early 90s, she moved to Los Angeles for college and got small film TV roles. Her big break came in 1987 when she nabbed the role of the Empress in the international smash The Last Emperor, directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. She went on to have a starring role in the TV series Twin Peaks, uh, starting in 1990, which lasted a few years, and Chen continues to act and direct. Well, thank you for joining me today and for celebrating Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, which is in May. May is the month of Asian Pacific American, American Heritage. 
For more on the month, you can go to AsianPacificHeritage.gov. That's AsianPacificHeritage.gov. And thank you for listening to my Underground Magnolia podcast by me, Desiree Valto, Conscious Entertainment for Your Soul. You can find the links on the UCLA Hollywood Diversity Study I mentioned on my site at undergroundmagnoliapodcast.buzzsprout.com. That's undergroundmagnoliapodcast.buzzsprout.com. Or you can send me an email at contact at undergroundmagnolia.com. That's contact at undergroundmagnolia.com. And again, you are listening to The Sounds. We're being closed out by Jazz Addicts Intro uh, by Cosimo Fogg. And you can find him at soundcloud.com slash Cosimo dash F-O-G-G. That's two G's. That's soundcloud.com slash Cosimo dash Fogg. Till next time, this is Desiree Valto. Thank you.